Open your Bibles with me today to the most well-known verse in the Bible, one we've already sung about this morning, and that's John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, as you're turning to John 3, 16, I just mentioned very briefly and say thank you for your support of Gateway Seminary. You may not even know you do that, but through your partnership with the Northwest Baptist Convention, which has a a uh, long-time relationship with our school, you have been a part of what we do. And we actually have a campus here in the Vancouver area, one of our five that Bevan mentioned, and so thank you for being a part of us. Even if you think, well, I'm sort of at a distance at a, as a part, we're still thankful for your support. Now, your pastor gave me wide latitude about what to preach today. And so I prayed and felt God leading me to preach the message I'm about to declare it was quite interesting to me as I drove up to your property that I saw these big banners that say, because of love. And that's exactly the theme of my message today. <laughs> and then my text is a very common verse of scripture that many people learned when they were small children. And if you didn't learn it then, when you became a Christian, even as an adult, it was probably one of the first passages you learned. John 3.16, and that was the song that we sang to open today's worship service. So I think I'm on the right path, Pastor. Uh, your theme is, or my message theme is on your banner flying out in front of your meeting site, and my text is the one you've sung this morning in the opening song of your service, John 3.16. The Bible declares, and I'm going to say it from something that's hardly ever used anymore, the King James Version. You know why I'm going to say it that way? Because that's how I learned it when I was a little boy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes or believeth in him shall what? Shall have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, is how we now translate begotten, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to preach to you this morning about what that verse means from God's perspective, and then because it is a model for us about how we should also relate to the world in which we live, what it means for us as well. You know, the Bible starts, or that this verse in the Bible starts by declaring a very basic truth, and that is, God loves people. God loves people. He loves every single person in the world. That's what's in that first phrase from the verse, for God so loved the world. God loves people, every single person in the world. Now that's easy to conceptualize when we think about that God loves the people that we love or God loves the people that we like. But I had to learn early on in my ministry that God loves every single person in the world, including some of the people that we might look at as unlovely or that we might have a hard time loving. When I was in my first pastorate many years ago, our church, uh, our community had a major construction project which closed the street in front of our church. And so to get out of our property, you had to go out the parking lot, down a gravel road, back to a, a stop sign nobody even knew was there, and then turn around and come back around to get back up on the main road. You following me here this morning? There's a point to this story. Stay with me. 
So I went out of that parking lot and down that gravel road one day, and I got to that old stop sign, and I looked off to the side, and there was an old house there, and out in front of that house, there was a woman raking leaves, and I want to tell you the first thought I had, that may be the ugliest woman in the world. I looked out the side window and she's out there raking leaves. She's got on a plaid jacket and a striped shirt and, some, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a shriveled up kind of a skirt thing over some leggings. And she's got her feet in some big old galoshes type boots with no laces. And she's got a bonnet of some kind on and her hair is going 19 different directions out of that. And she's out there with these mismatched gloves on raking her leaves. And I sat there looking at her and I thought, that is the ugliest woman in the world. And then, in a very loud whisper that God knows how to use, he said something to me. This is what he said. Maybe so, but she was pretty enough that my son died for her. I sat there at that stop sign, having been directly rebuked by God for my arrogance and my judgmentalism and my shallowness, with tears streaming down my cheeks. And I prayed a prayer something like this, God forgive me for being so shallow, for being so superficial, for being so judgmental. God, I look out this window and I see a woman and the first thing I do is make a joke about her appearance. But you see her and the first thing you say is, I love her. I love her. And I learned a profound lesson that day, but I've been learning over and over again for all these years, and that is God loves every single person in the world, including the people you don't love. Now, let's get honest here this morning. There are some people that you don't love. For example, I had a friend tell me once, I don't like fat people. I can't stand them. And he went off a tirade about people who had a weight problem. Got another fellow told me one time, he said, I don't like Asians. And he went off on an explanation of why he didn't like Asians and why he didn't want anything to do with them. Another, young guy told, another guy told me one time, said, I don't like punks. Oh, well, that's kind of a broad definition. He said, well, I know one when I see one. Now, you say, well, I like chubby people. I don't mind Asians. I'm patient with punks. But just give me about five minutes to sit down with you one-on-one, -on -one, and I think I could probe around and pretty soon find somebody that you don't like and you're not even sure God loves. Right? Every one of us has some category of people that's just hard. I want to enforce to you this morning that God loves people. Every single person in the world. Maybe you're like my friend Doris, who learned this lesson in that same era of my ministry. Doris was a matriarch of our church. She was the woman that every other young woman in our church wanted to grow up to be. You tracking with me here? She was that woman that everyone loved, everyone respected. In fact, revered wouldn't have been too strong of language. And Doris had a profound impact in my life. In fact, she was my friend for about 30 years and her son became my good friend and still is today. And when Doris was dying in a hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, a few years ago, her son called and I went and he and I sat up through the night, just the two of us talking about her life and caring for her as she reached the very end of life. This was a powerful woman in my life and remained one for a long time. So you can imagine how shocked I was when this first story happened. 
It was a Sunday night service at our church. A couple came, never been before, brought a little baby, took the baby down to the nursery, and it was Doris's night to work in that capacity, so she served. The service ended, and Doris came bustling through the auditorium and said, I need to see you in your office now. Well, I felt like I was being summoned to both the principal's office and to an audience with holy God. But I went to my office not knowing exactly what was going to happen. And Doris said, there was a couple here was here tonight. I think they were probably a pretty young couple. I said, yes, they were. First time they ever came. They brought a baby. Okay. They brought the baby down to the nursery. Okay. I kept the baby. They brought that baby with a diaper made out of an old torn up curtain and it was soiled and the baby had all kinds of rash and other problems and I am so angry. How can there be such dirty people in the world who don't know how to take care of a baby? I I don't know, Doris. (laughs) Well, I'll just fast forward the story. She went off on me for quite a while. I'd never seen her act this way, never seen her talk this way, never seen anything like this. But I found out that night who Doris didn't like and who Doris didn't think God loved, and that was dirty people. So I went home that night, a little shell-shocked. Next morning, got up, went to the office, drove on the church parking lot about 8 a.m., and there parked in her car waiting on me is Doris. And I thought, well, we're going to get after it again right off the bat. Here we go. Okay. So I get out of my car, and Doris gets out of hers, and she said, that couple that came last night, and I thought, all right, here we go. <laughs> she said, that couple that came last night, did they fill out a card, give you their address or any personal information? I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I want you to have that. <laughs> I said, uh, y- 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 yes. She said, I want it. And then she said, Jeff, God had me up all night working me over. For my judgmentalism, my attitude, my lack of love. I've been to uh, Kmart already early this morning, bought a whole carload of everything possibly needed to take care of a baby. Give me their address. I'm going over there and meet them and uh, and talk with them and see if I can't see if I make a relationship with this young woman and maybe help her learn how to take care of a baby. See, that's what happens when you adopt God's perspective on people that you don't like and may not even love. Are you working with, me, working with me here this morning? God loves people. He loves every single person in the world. That's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. But now let's get to the second part of the message. And that is God loves the world enough that he does something about it. The verse says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. God loves the world enough that he did the most amazing, remarkable, it seems like almost unthinkable thing, he sent his son to become our Savior and Lord. God loves people enough to do something about it. Now go church, I want to spend the rest of my morning talking to you about you following the same pattern. If you love people like God loves people, then you've got to do something about it. Now, obviously, you're not going to do what God did. You don't send a Savior into the world. But in a parallel fashion, you have a responsibility to do something toward the world in which we live that has something very clearly to do with Jesus Christ who came into our world. Now, if you're taking notes this morning and you have a guide in your worship folder to help you do that, I just want you to write down four letters just down the page. I want you to spell out the word 
ARMS, A-R-M-S. Got that? It's real simple, just A-R-M-S. Because what I want to challenge you to do this morning, Go Church, is I want to challenge you to get your arms around people that you, that you are responsible to love as God loves them. All right? So this little acrostic arms will help us remember the message this morning. First, if God loves people and he takes action and you love people and you're responsible to take action toward them, the first thing I want to challenge you to do is accept people just like they are. Accept people as they are. You know, the Bible says in another place that God loved us while we were yet sinners. Do you remember that God loved you when you weren't so lovable? You know, you may have cleaned your life up quite a bit and gotten on a better path and be living in a much healthier and even holy way today, and I'm grateful for that, but that is not how you were when God found you. Somebody had to accept you just like you were and bring the gospel message to you in your lostness, in your sinfulness, and in your evilness, and in that moment, God's love became real to you when someone accepted you just like you are. You know, I've been doing this a long time in ministry leadership, and so I've seen this played out on a number of, in a number of ways, but I want to tell you a story this morning that happened right here in the Pacific Northwest. In fact, it happened at Pathway Church when I was a church planter in that congregation. We had a family in our church, very strong, committed Christian family, and there was another family in our church of similar commitment, and their children got together, and they got engaged, and then they got married, and I actually did the wedding. And on their honeymoon, the guy started having an affair with another woman. And it took a few months for this to become known, but eventually it did. And fast-forwarding the story, of course, there was a significant rupture in our church because of the division of relationships between these two families. And then, of course, the couple came unraveled and divorce ultimately occurred but our church had a responsibility to love people in this context and there's one more person in the story that I haven't told you about very much and that is this girl who was the one that was with the affair who also by the way was pregnant And so we had to ask ourselves, what's our responsibility to this couple? What's our responsibility to these families? But what's our responsibility also for this girl? And we started reaching out to her with the gospel. And some months later, she came to faith in Jesus Christ and had her life transformed in the context of some of the ugliest and messiest and dirtiest circumstances of life. Now, that story had a very interesting ending. I went on to be the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention and off to be the president of Gateway Seminary, and years rolled by. A few, just two or three years ago, I was back preaching at Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. And after I preached that morning, I was out in the foyer just talking to people like I would because I, of course, was the founding pastor there, so I still know a few people, and believe it or not, they like me there. And so I was out there enjoying myself talking to some people, and this woman walked up to me and said, uh, Pastor Jeff, you may not remember me. And I said, I'm sorry, it's been a long time, and, and I'm sorry, but I don't remember you. 
She said, well, you might remember my situation. And she started telling me the story I just told you. And about two sentences in, I stopped her and said, oh, no, just stop. Yes, I do remember you. She said, well, I want you to meet someone. And she called over this strapping 18-year-old young man and said, this is my son who's also come to faith in Jesus. And I want to tell you, thank you for bringing the gospel into our lives at a very dark time and how it changed us forever. Listen. When I say accept people as they are, I'm talking about accepting people in the dirtiest, messiest, most broken conditions that you will find them and recognizing that your responsibility as a church is to go to them with the gospel. Not waiting for them to get their life cleaned up, not waiting for them to make things right, not waiting for them to be appropriate or not waiting for them to smell good, not waiting for them to have it all together so they'll fit in to go church when they get here. No, your responsibility is to go to them in their brokenness, in their defeat, in their evil, in everything that's wrong with them, in the messiness of what they've made of their lives. That's when you go and that's when you demonstrate the love of God, when you accept people as they are and get involved with them just like you find them. A, accept people as they are. Second, a second part of doing as God did, going to us in the context of loving us, is to reach people where they are. Reach people where they are. And I want to give you two ways I mean that this morning. The first way is to reach people where they are physically. Where they are physically. For example, there is a nice crowd here this morning at Go Church, and I'm thankful that you're here. But on your way home today, open up your eyes and look at where people are on Sunday morning. They are not here. They're not here. There are all kinds of other places. And so while I'm grateful for a church like yours that has a place where it meets and it invites people to come, I want to strongly encourage you to recognize that God sent his son, meaning he sent his son where people were, which is a long way from where he was in heaven. He sent his son to where people were, and that's what you have to do. You have to go where people are with the gospel and introduce it to them in their context, on their turf. Do you know where I became a Christian? At a fair. I did not grow up in a Christian family. In fact, standing here today, my family, as far as I know, never attended a worship service together in my lifetime. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, was never taken to church by my parents, nothing like that. But I went to a Sunday school a few times. And then one day I went to the West Texas Regional Fair, big deal in our part of the world. Walked off the midway into the exhibit building, and there's a sign, Elmcrest Baptist Church, public opinion poll. That's where I'd been to Sunday school a few times. Walked up to the booth and said, what are you guys doing at the fair? And they said, we're taking a public opinion poll and talking with people about their relationship with God. Would you like to take our survey? Being 13 and very proud of my opinion, of course I said, yes, I would love to take your survey. And about 20 minutes later, as a part of that survey, they asked if they could tell me about how to have a relationship with God, and I said yes, and before I walked away from that fair booth that day, I had heard the gospel, as far as I know, the first time, and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And from that moment at the fair until this moment right now, I've never wavered in my understanding that Jesus Christ changed my life in that moment at the fair. Listen. 
If that church had been waiting for people to come to their services to hear the gospel, I would never have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I wasn't going to their services. But because they had a commitment not only to have church like this, but to also be a church that goes, the church that goes into the community with the gospel into public places and talks about Jesus, because they had a commitment to do that, I'm standing here before you today. So when I say reach people where they are, I mean reach people where they are physically, but I also mean reach people where they are spiritually. You know, after you've been a Christian for a while, you begin to think everybody knows what I know and everybody thinks what I think and everybody should be able to understand what I understand, but that is just simply not the case, particularly not in the Pacific Northwest. You know, when I planted the church in Gresham those years ago, we reached a number of families. I'll just tell you about one today, Steve and Michelle Snyder. So Steve and Michelle uh, came to our church at some activity or event at, at the invitation of someone, and I, I got to meet them on a Sunday, and then they came back the next Sunday, and they still didn't give me any information, but I didn't know their name and see them in the service, and they came back that second maybe, and then they came back that third time, and about the third time they came, I said, you know, I really appreciate you guys coming to our church. Would you be open to me coming by and just sitting down and talking with you about, you know, your interest in a relationship with God and perhaps our church? And they kind of looked at each other, eh, okay, maybe, sure, why don't you do that? So we made an appointment for me to go to their home. Well, when I got to their home, I was blown away because it was a beautiful home. I mean, really nice. And then I found out they had built it, not had it built, they had built it. And then I found out they both owned small businesses and were both very resourceful, very competent people, a very successful young couple. Wow. Went to their home and I said, I've come tonight to talk with you, as I said, about your relationship with God. But I wonder before we do that, if you have any questions you'd like to ask me about what you've experienced at our church or anything like that. They looked at each other again and kind of sheepishly, Steve said, well, yeah, I, I, I've got a question for you. I said, okay. He said, you get up there on Sunday to give the talk. I said, yeah. He said, uh, you said open up your Bibles. I said, yeah. He said, the first time I was there, you said open up your Bible to the New Testament. The second Sunday, you said open up your Bible to the Old Testament. And then after that, you called out someplace and everybody knew what you were talking about. I'm like, uh-huh. He said, well, here's my first question. What's a testament? And I said, well, that's a great question. You have a Bible? He goes, I had a feeling you were going to ask me that. And he reached down under his coffee table and he pulled out three Bibles. He goes, I went to a Christian bookstore today and bought three Bibles. He said, listen, you people have got a lot of Bibles. Have you ever been in one of those stores? I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. He goes, I had no idea what to buy, but I got these three. Well, one of these do. I said, yeah, just give me one of them. So I opened the Bible to the table of contents. And I said, this is a table of contents in this Bible. And you might see here it says Old Testament and this says New Testament. I said, the Bible in some ways is, is just a book, and meaning it has a table of contents and it has a first part and a second part. And the first part's called the Old Testament. And the word testament means covenant or way God relates to us. So the Old Testament is God's old covenant of how he used to relate to us. And the New Testament is God's new covenant of how he relates to us now. And the New Testament is the part that starts with Jesus. Steve said, wow. Now you're thinking, you're a seminary president and that's the best you can do. Let me tell you, I, I, I wasn't given a theology lecture at a doctoral seminar somewhere. I'm talking to a guy who has literally never opened a Bible before. And that night, he and I started a relationship. And the most beautiful thing about that relationship is today, these what now, goodness, 
30 years almost later. He's an elder at Pathway Church in Gresham, Oregon. You see, that night, I didn't ridicule Steve for what he didn't know or make fun of him for not being able to find his way through the Bible. Because you already know this because you live here. There are adults in your community who are successful, who own businesses or run companies, who have responsible positions, who've built beautiful homes, who have nice children, who are reasonably well-educated, now get this, who have never opened a Bible. Never opened a Bible. And so when I talk about reaching people where they are, I'm talking about reaching them where they are physically by like going to places like the fair, but I'm also talking about reaching people where they are spiritually by going to them with the basic message of the gospel and having the patience to help them start at square one without any ridicule or without making them feel like they're inadequate or without making fun of them or in some way acting like they're not up to your spiritual standards because they haven't come quite as far as you have. Reach people where they are. Third, the third, the third letter is M. Meet the needs of people as you find them. Meet the needs of people as you find them. That just simply means that you come alongside people and you serve them in a way that convinces them that you really do care about them. Now, I'm telling so many stories this morning, but this one also happened. I'm tailored over one of these to my years as a church planner. When I was a church planner in Gresham, I was very much involved in Little League Baseball. And for 10 years, I was involved very extensively in a, in a league. And for 25 years, I umpired baseball up and down the West Coast, amateur baseball of all ages. But I met a guy in Little League in Gresham, Oregon, who was the president of our league. And I tried to build a relationship with him because I'm going where he is with the gospel on his terms. And after a couple of years of trying to serve him and relate to him and be a good board member for him as I worked with him, his mother died. And I found out about it later and went to him and said, hey, I heard your mom died. Is there anything I could do? And he said, you know, we almost called you. Almost after two years. And then another year went by. And we went to the ballpark, or I continued to serve him and work with him and meet his needs and try to be the best board member I could be as a support to him. And then one day he called me and he said, hey, Jeff, do you do funerals? I said, yeah. He said, well, I wonder if you'd do a service for my dad. And I said, absolutely, I'd do a service for your dad. He goes, now, before you get too committed here, there may not be anybody there but me and you. And he said, my dad was, was a really rough guy. He used some pretty strong language that I won't use here to describe his dad. He said, he's so difficult, I don't think there'll be anybody at the service except me. But would you do a service for him? I just feel like I need to do something. I did a service for him, and he was wrong. My friend, uh, my friend came, his wife came, their two children came, and one elderly aunt on a walker. That was my audience for the service. After that, though, our relationship was closer. Now, I've been meeting with this guy and serving him as a good board member on Little League now for four or five years, trying to meet his needs and build a relationship with him and let him know I care about what he cares about and be involved in his life in such a way that I'd have opportunity to speak to him about spiritual issues and his relationship with God. And it is a slow process. Anybody else ever tracked with anybody like this? 
Yeah. And then one day, it was uh, New Year's Day. Now, all of you know this, but in the winter in this region, you get a three-hour window where it doesn't rain and the sun comes out. And that's the moment you take down your Christmas lights, right? And so I'm on the roof of my house taking down my Christmas lights when my wife, who's sitting right over here, comes out with a cordless phone and said, phone! And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, woman. I am up here on the three-hour window of sunlight taking down my Christmas lights, and you want me to get on off this roof and talk on the phone on a holiday? It can't be anybody from work. What are you doing to me? She's like, Little League. I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. It's the middle of winter. We're not ready for Little League yet. So I duck walked down the roof, reached around the eve, took the phone, and did, in my most spiritually sensitive voice said, hello! And my friend said, hey Jeff, this is so-and-so, tell me his name. I said, yeah! He said, uh, hey, I'm calling you because my wife just told me this morning that she's leaving me for another man. And I need a friend today, and I thought of you. And I said, I'll be at your house in 30 minutes. It only took five years to get there. Listen, go church, I want you to accept people where they are and reach people as you find them, both physically and spiritually. And third, I want you to meet needs in the lives of people around you, patiently waiting for God to give you the opportunity to make a difference in their lives. And then last, share the gospel at every opportunity. S, share the gospel at every opportunity. Now, I'm just going to go re uh, quickly because I, I, I could spend a long time on this, but I want to try to teach you in the next five minutes the most important thing I've learned about sharing my faith with others in the last 20 years. Most important thing I've learned in the last 20 years. It's how to open conversations about the gospel with people that we're, meet, that we're, that we're around all the time. Now, I know what you're, you're thinking. I'm a preacher, so I'm going to say, you should talk with everybody you meet about Jesus. Well, I tell you, don't do that, actually. Because if you do that, you're going to come off as some kind of a religious nut. And in the Northwest, people are going to look at you like, are you crazy? Can you not talk about anything but that? Right? Got a little quiet in here, didn't it? I'm talking reality here. The people you work with every day, the people you see every day in your school, the people you're around every day in your family. I am not telling you to talk about Jesus with them every single time you see them in every single context. If you do, you're, you're likely going to be perceived more as offensive than helpful about the gospel. But on the other extreme, some of us never talk to anyone about the gospel. So how do we know when to bring the gospel into the conversation, right? We're accepting people as they are, reaching them where they are, meeting needs as we find them. And then how do we know when it's time to share the gospel? Well, I won't take the time to tell you how I learned this, but I'll just tell you I learned Rather than trying to think up some clever way or be some manipulative in, in the conversation or bring it up at some awkward moment where everyone wonders where that came from, I've started to learn to watch for these four things in the lives of people. And when one of these four things happens, I step in with the gospel. Are you ready? Number one, people die. People die. When someone dies, what typically happens in Northwest culture, I watched it closely for the years I lived here, 
when someone dies, everybody sort of steps back because no one knows what to do. But we do know when someone dies, our first response cannot be to step back. It has to be to do what? Step in. Step in. To come closer and say, how can I help you? I learned this lesson many years ago through my wife. We bought our first house. We were a young couple with one little one. And another young couple moved in diagonally across the street from us in our neighborhood. And we went over and met them and got acquainted with them. And it was a new relationship. And they had twins. So there wasn't a lot of free time between us and them. But we were trying to build that initial relationship. And then one morning I walked out and picked up the newspaper. Let me explain. That was a piece of paper that they put on your front porch every morning. And, And back in the day it was the best news source that we had. Okay. Okay, well, anyway, I walked outside, picked up the newspaper, and opened it across the front page. It said, local man killed in railroading accident. And I read the article, and it was my neighbor, a diagonally across the street, had been killed the night before. He worked on the railroad. I went in and told Ann, and Ann said, I have to do something. So Ann put together a little dish of food, walked across the street, and summoned all the courage she had to knock on that door and say, Helen... I'm Ann from across the street, and I saw what happened to your husband, and I just want to know, how can I help you? And six months later, I baptized Helen as a new believer who came to faith because my wife went across the street with a little dish and said, how can I help you? People die. Second, relationships struggle. Relationships struggle. Now, of course, we know about struggles in marriages and engagements and struggles with other kinds of, uh, but, but there's other kinds of relationships that are also painful in the lives of people. I'll just give you one that you might not have thought of when I said relationship struggle. I, I was sitting in the bleachers at a Little League game one night. My 12-year-old son was playing. I don't have any idea how that happened, I, that I wasn't on the field coaching him, but I wasn't. I'm sitting in the stands just watching. And another dad came up and sat down beside me and said, hey, can I ask you a question? We chit-chatted a minute, and he said, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. I knew this dad. He and I, our sons had been playing ball together in one sport or the other at this point for about five years. And he said, hey, I want to ask you a question. I said, sure. And he goes, uh, how is it that you and your son have such a close relationship? And I said, you mean the 12-year-old out there that I'm ready to kill every other minute? <laughs> you mean that one? And he said, hey, I I know we like to joke around, but I'm not joking right now. I've watched you guys. You guys have a really good relationship. And he said, my son and I have gotten to the point we can barely be in the same room. And I just wonder how you do it. And finally, the bell started, and whistles kind of clicking in my brain said, wake up, Jeff. And I turned to him and I said, well, let me just tell you this part. Both my son and I have committed our lives to Jesus Christ. And we take it seriously. And while we don't get it perfect, we try to let our relationship with Jesus dictate how we relate to each other. And if you're interested, I could tell you how that could happen at your house. He said, I'm very interested. And I was able to share the gospel with him on a Little League bleachers because he asked me about a broken relationship with his 12-year-old son. So relationships struggle. So when you hear of someone who's hurting in a relationship with an aging parent, a relationship with a spouse, a relationship with a child, when relationships struggle and a person opens up to you and says, I'm not doing well here, don't blow that off and say, oh, see a counselor, oh, read a book. Say, oh, really? 
You know, I've struggled in some relationships in my life as well. Let me tell you what we've done that's helped at our house. Third, health fails. Health fails. You ever been sick? I have. 1994, I was diagnosed with cancer. That's probably the worst illness I've ever lived through. You know, when you're sick, you're emotionally vulnerable. You're asking questions about life. You want to know if you're going to live or not. You want to know what's going to happen if you don't. You're concerned about the people you might leave behind. Health fails. Same thing I said earlier. When people get sick, you know what usually happens? A rush of compassion. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then everybody forgets about it. But not us. Because we realize that when people are hurting physically, there's a continuing opportunity there for ministry and care and need being met. So we put it on our phone to call a person once a month or something like that while they're going through their treatments, while they're going through the difficulty, to let them know we know it's hard. We want to stand with them. And in those contexts, share the gospel. And then finally, dreams shatter. Dreams shatter. What I mean by this is, sometimes everything you've put your hopes in goes up in smoke. You didn't get the job you wanted. You didn't get into your dream school. The promotion that was promised to you, they gave it to another person. The person you hoped would be married to you someday walked away. Relationship over. The car you thought, if you just got it, would make you happy. Turned out, not so much. The dream shatters. And in those moments, we step in, not with judgmentalism. Oh, how superficial could you be? Why did you think a person could make you happy? Oh, it was just a piece of metal. No, we don't step in with that kind of judgmental nonsense. We step in and say, hey, you seem to be hurting. What's going on with you? How can I help? So go church, here's what John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Now we follow the same pattern, we're supposed to love the world too. God so loved the world means he loves every single person in the world, which means we have the same challenge and responsibility. And then the second part of the verse, God loved the world enough that he took action, he sent his son. I'm not going to send you like he sent his son, but I'm going to send you on behalf of his son. Go church. It's more than just a cute name for a church. It's your responsibility, isn't it? It's your responsibility. You're supposed to be going because you love people. Just like God sent Jesus, he sent us into the world in the same way. And when we get there, we don't die on crosses and get resurrected. We know that, but what can we do? We can put our arms around a world that needs the message we have. Accept people as they are. Reach people where they are meet needs as we find them, and share the gospel at every opportunity. And what does opportunity look like? Well, when you're moving through life doing these things, and people die, and relationships struggle, and health fails, and dreams shatter, it's in those moments that you have the courage to say, can I talk with you about what's made a difference in my life when I've faced something similar to what you're going through? Can I just tell you my story, what Jesus means to me? You do that. Just that, 
and you will make a profound difference in the circle around you and in the world in which we live. Let's bow our heads together. Now, with our heads bowed, I'm going to ask you to make two responses this morning. First of all, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, I would invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This message is for you. God loves you. No matter how dirty, broken, evil, or troubled you are, God loves you. And he sent Jesus for you. And if you will come to him this morning and say a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Just now I turn from my sin and I trust you as my Lord and Savior. If you'll pray a simple prayer like that in your own words or use mine if you'd like, pray a simple prayer. Lord, just now I turn from my sin. I place my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. He promises that in that moment, he will come into your life and give you the gift of salvation, just like he did for me at the fair many years ago. Now, some of you need to make that kind of response today, but probably the most of you need to make this kind of response. You need to pray a quiet prayer where you're seated and say, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus because you loved me. And now, Lord, you've sent me so that I can demonstrate your love to other people. Lord, help me this week to go with the gospel and to pay attention to what's happening around me so that when doors of opportunity for the gospel swing open around me, I will step in and speak up about Jesus. Father, I thank you so much, thank you so much for sending Jesus for us. And I thank you so much that you did that because you do really love us. Lord, the older I've gotten, the less impressed with myself I've been. And the more amazed I've been that you loved me and that you sent Jesus for me. And I pray, Father, that you would make that the sense that everyone in this room has today of just how awesome it is that you loved each one of us. And then, Father, I pray for the members and the regular attenders here at Go Church that you will motivate them to recognize that they must be on mission for you. That just as you sent Jesus... You're now sending us. And we receive this from you and thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.